Hi, I'm your host, Connor Byrne, and welcome to this episode of That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. Today, I chat to Paul Durbin, CMO of the National Lottery and one of Ireland's most highly respected marketers. Paul has spent his career building great brands, working for O2, Telefonica in Latam, Full Tilt, and Indeed. In 2020, Paul published his book, Run With Foxes, Making Better Marketing Decisions, which Peter Field called a treasure trove of confessions of an experienced marketer. I've known Paul for nearly 25 years, having met at Paul Newman's Barrettstown camp, and we've remained great friends since. I've also been lucky enough to work with Paul, both client and agency side. In today's episode, we cover so much from the power of failure, having likely held views, the flawed nature of briefing, and how a guy in boxer shorts got him interested in advertising. Paul, thanks very much for joining uh, today. And I'd love for anybody who listening who doesn't know you and the work you're doing in the National Lottery, just to tell us a bit about your path to becoming CMO uh, at the National Lottery. Hey, Connor. Good to see you again. My path to the lottery. I started the lottery two years ago. Prior to that, I'll go backwards. Yeah. Pri- prior to that, I like to consider myself unemployed. So that's certainly a, a strategy to getting a CMO role. Um, I was doing a little bit of consulting um, and doing a lot of Lego and I was writing a book um, and I'd taken probably a year and a half and actually had planned probably to take, take longer off if I could. But I was lured into this lottery role. Uh, it was exciting. Pre that, um, I've had a number of roles, all quite similar in what I was doing, but just different scale. So you and I obviously worked together in Indeed, where we looked after a number of different markets and kind of looked after managing the brand and, and launching in different places, as well as running a lab for experiments. Pre that, I had done a stint with Telefonica Digital, which was in a number of countries in Latin America, again, launching youth brands, or at least trying to. And uh, and then the kind of the, the main stint pre all that was in 02, which was then bought by Telefonica in Ireland, where I had a numerous roles. I shouldn't have even have got the job, but they gave it to me when I was a pup. And... Um, and ended up being head of brand there, working for some wonderful people like Damien Devaney and Johnny Gall, where I kind of learned a lot of my my marketing stuff. Has that? Yeah, because it's like, in a way, I'm not saying it was accidental, but, you know, that was a great opportunity with Telefonic or O2 as it was at the time, because you'd worked in previously some direct marketing yeah. stuff. Yeah, that was the real break. Like that was the real break. Like I really, sh- I went in as a planner role. Um, I had worked agency side, but even then, like small digital agencies, not not proper brand stuff. Um, and I went in as a plan, a planner, a campaign planner, not a proper planner, a campaign planner role. Um, and O two was just at the time, just you know this amazing new brand and when like people went from having no mobile phone to having mobile phone and there was just I was exposed to a load of marketing and and big brand stuff and I was in the middle of it all because all briefs came into me um and and I really shouldn't have got the the job at all but 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 kindly Paul Farrell uh you know 
gave me the job probably just because I was so oh, persistent. sorry for you. No, I was very persistent. <laughs> and I reckon he thought that maybe that I would end up knocking on his door if, if I did home. So he's like, I'll just take the job, you know? So, and, and, and then I was there for almost 10 years, eight years there. And then Telefonica after that. What were some of the biggest things you, you learned in that, in that time? And that's a big question, but you know, there was obviously yeah. your, your career progressed massively. Oh, well, so uh, you were ahead of Brown yeah. for O2. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I tell you, there's something I learned the, but I didn't realize till after it. O2 was probably the most consistent brand when it comes to kind of rigor in, 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 in kind of brand, uh, in terms of identity and advertising. And, you know, we were, we are obsessive and, uh, you know, cause you would have done a bit of work with O2, but, but, um, like we'd brand guidelines and if you put them all together, they'd be like, they'd be touching the roof really. Those, uh, like we'd names of our bubbles and, and at the time it was frustrating. Um, but it, only years later that I really understand that that probably was the, one of the most significant routes to growth compared to our competitors. Um, so that was definitely one. Uh, and, and that stayed with me. Um, I think that um, the other thing is I got to work for like a couple of wonderful leaders. And so, you know, Damien Giovanni, who everybody knows in Ireland, um, came in and transformed the marketing team, which wasn't a great team prior to that, to be honest with you. Um, and like we just didn't have the discipline or the the knowledge that you get if you come up through an FMCG kind of career. Um, and and then Johnny Cow came, and you know Johnny, and he 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 was kind of an inspiring leader for everybody. He you now he runs the, all the marketing for Heineken in the in in the US. Um, and so <clears throat> this combination of rigor and determination and actually belief in brand um and then just just a really big account you know like you know we're spending 20 million on advertising in ireland it's it's it's, it's a lot so probably also maybe the you the ceo who believed in marketing and brand and brand yeah. yeah that's true like so you know there's always the scraps about you know where we should spend our money where should we cut our money and you know everything like that but Danuta Gray was was uh, a big believer uh, and she came from an engineering background she was a big believer in 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 marketing and the brand and actually she was a she was she was very helpful to me personally she was a big advocate for me um and uh and so, I, and I think actually, if you don't have the very, very top, if you don't have a CEO who believes in the, the you know, and what the what brand and marketing can do for an organization, you, you probably won't have a very enjoyable career in that in that company. You'd be better off just to move on. And I think probably maybe if you move to the the lottery now where you are is probably similar in that sense. Maybe you've got a CEO who believes the role oh, of the yeah. brand and, and so you've gone into the lottery to, I guess when you started in the lottery, what was your first kind of view and assessment of, of what was needed? So um, because I'm older now, um, 
I I'm less likely to just go in thinking I know all the answers and 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 less kind of arrogant about what I can do. Um, I what I realized reasonably early is it was a huge brand. I, I like in terms of metrics, in terms of penetration and frequency. I was like, wow, this is actually one of the biggest brands in the country by a by a long shot. Um, and that was fascinating and interesting. Um, and I felt that there was a lot of heritage that maybe we were not trading on as well as we could. Um, I thought that we, so these are things I thought maybe I could have a look at. Um, I, I, what struck me looking out, looking in, is that we were probably competing with ourselves a little bit. So Lotto was competing with Euro Millions with scratch cards and they all kind of looked a little bit different and they, they had different taglines. And, uh, and so I felt knowing what, you know, you and I know about the likes of Ehrenberg Bass and things like that, that there was maybe an opportunity to consolidate that stuff and, and, you know, start driving kind of more distinctive, memorable, consolidated brand. And we did that, um, so that was kind of the main things looking looking at it. Like it's it is a, it's an incredible brand. It's been around for thirty years. Um, the other thing, which I guess is not really that related, but just there's some wonderful people there, and that struck me as important as I, in the stage I am in my illustrious career, you kind of want to you want to work with people you like, and and if you if you get those choices there it's it's you know I, I think it's a good thing you know um so so maybe they're kind of the main things i don't know if that answers your question yeah yeah because i but i guess it kind of goes to maybe some of the maybe the marketing beliefs that you you have you know what would some of those core marketing beliefs be yeah and yeah i guess you know them but um <laughs> so i should say that um i was asked Earlier on today, where someone asked about, well, how difficult is it was it to you know to to get investment for the brand? And I was like, well, not at all, because that was the job I was asked to do. Um, so so again, you had at the very top, which is a belief and an understanding that actually brand is fundamentally important to something like a lottery. Um, I um, I have like a number of beliefs that I've kind of over time. Um, um, found useful uh, values behaviors things like that so yeah. so for example when it comes to marketing um one which i stole from russell the uh creative director and indeed when i heard him which is this idea that you need to be hard on the work but easy on each other and uh, and i really like that yeah. i i think it is easy to get into scraps about like you know you're looking at some work you don't think it's any good you know um, and but the truth of the matter is a lot of the stuff can be quite difficult. It's really hard to do really good work, uh, and so you know we we hard in the work is is great in the sense that we just can't accept as a group as a team stuff that just isn't good enough. Right. And and so let's not, out of politeness, accept it. Um, somebody's worked hard on it. Yeah, yeah. So so let's not go. Okay, it's good enough because it, it could be better, but let's find a way as a team to understand that we're just talking about the work, not about the people who made the work, not about anything else, just yeah. that personally, I don't think the work is enough. Now, to do that means everybody has to have a decent high benchmark 
about what good is. And so, so I do have some strong beliefs around the idea that like everybody has to get to a certain knowledge base and, and, and the certain things. So one of my beliefs that we, we spoke about when I started there was you got to study the past. You got to study the past because in the past, we'll see lots of, you know, empirical evidence and all sorts of other things that help us understand what good could be. Um, and also, I am, um, when I was writing the book, I uh, interviewed Professor Tim Ambler, who's like one of the most famous effectiveness people around. And he wrote Marketing the Bottom Line. And he, he gave me a great quote, which is, great marketers don't always know what to do, but they know what not to do. And, and I think it's really good because you, you kind of know which mistakes not to stumble over if you, you know, if you, if you spent enough time studying the past, um, you know, and, and obviously I've made a lot of those mistakes, but I've, again, uh, I'm at the stage now where at least I know what those mistakes are. The other one that is probably the most, a, I had six ones that we kind of, we talked about, but the, the other one, like one is share early and often and we can talk about it if you want, but the, the one that I, that I, that I care most about is this ability to change your mind. So the way we describe it and like someone's asked me, you know, if there was one thing to take from your book, what would it be? And I was there, if you can learn to enjoy, you can learn to enjoy finding out that you were wrong. That is the single most probably useful thing that will help you make better decisions. And so what we try and do on the team is help everybody understand that when the evidence or the facts or anything else suggests that, that the direction we're going is wrong or the decision we've made is wrong, not only, not only can you change your mind, you're, you're expected to, and don't feel bad about that. You know? So. How do you get people to that point? Cause that, you know, that is a, I think we're all trained to be right. Like even in school, like kids are thought that, you know, you learn, you get a test and then you get a mark out of 10 and, you know, the two wrong answers is a bad thing. You know, so how do you with a team kind of change that mentality? Yeah, it's true. Because I think we are hardwired. We're hardwired to feel bad about making mistakes. And instead of going, oh, that's interesting, we, we actually, we often jump to defend it as a, as a kind of an impulse, even yeah. before we figured out why. So we're like, no, you're wrong. And then we come up with reasons why they're wrong. Um, uh, and, and so it's actually, it's probably hardwired into our systems to go the opposite direction. Um, I, I think it has to start from the leadership down. I think people have to understand the, the benefit of discovering you're wrong. I think it's like, I don't think people should feel ashamed when they make a mistake. You know, like there's a thing in marketing is if you haven't made any mistakes in marketing, you haven't made any decisions in marketing and, and made anything. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I wouldn't feel ashamed about making mistakes. I think it's just part of the process. I think it's, it's a pity if you make a mistake and you don't learn from it. Um, yeah. And that's kind of cliche, but it's true. Like if you, um, it, you know, there's a great, there's a great quote, which I stole from my book, um, um, which is this idea that your decision making, it's not, you shouldn't base whether it was a good decision just on the result. You should base it on the process you went through. Uh, and the, the example that, that I stole from someone, I, it's a chapter in my book, which is this idea that wearing a seatbelt is, is a good decision. Just because you got home, just say you didn't wear one and got home and didn't crash, 
doesn't mean you made a good decision. You just yeah. got lucky. You just got yeah. lucky. And, and so, so how learning to evaluate the decisions we made um, and why we made them and how we can do better is kind of part of the process. Um, and some people are better at kind of almost stepping away from it and trying to evaluate the decision without being personally um, soaked into it. But there's all reasons why people don't. Like they feel like, oh, hang on, I'm going to look like an idiot or I might lose my job or, or I'm meant to be the expert here and now I'm not. Or So there's a whole range of reasons why we jump to defending our decision as opposed to trying to be, trying to be curious about how, how it went wrong. Um, but if you don't do it, I genuinely feel we won't make better decisions. Yeah, and it reminds me, we when we worked together in our early days at Indeed, and we were going to the US for a business review meeting with our marketing leader, the first one, and we were going and we were trying to figure out what we would talk about our wins in in the period that we started our, our campaign labs. And we had stuff on a slide and we were like, it's kind of like now we're trying to sell this and and then we went with a slide that was empty yeah and said we had no wins and for me it's like the point you made about the leadership we had a leader who was like that's okay that you know that's okay and i think that that set the tone for us to kind of have permission to to not have wins but have learnings yeah, and there's a couple hundred people in the room, or like dialing in and version. And that was terrifying. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 it, it does lead to kind of a thing that that you know we we talk about, which is it's very easy to it's very easy to take a metric and find a positive spin on it. You know, um, you know, or you can move the goalposts and you can you can say, well, we've loads of visits or something. You know what I mean? So there's yeah. loads of ways to spin a result, and you know, you can see why you wouldn't want to do that because you don't want to look like an idiot. But at the same time, if you get a rep, if you get a reputation for spinning results, then in the long term it kills you. And I think I think it hurts marketing in the long term anyway. To be honest with you, um, and so and actually, if you remember on that occasion, I remember a situation where we did some, you and I did some, we did a TV test two different TV ads, two different periods of time. It wasn't a perfect test, but it wasn't bad. Like we did get some results back. We didn't get the cost per acquisition that would make it an acceptable cost per acquisition. And I was, I remember saying, look, we failed in the sense that we were not successful. And actually uh, Darcy was our, our CMO or our, our, at the time said, he was much more interested in how far off we got. Yeah. from the number so he wasn't interested in whether we got it right or wrong it wasn't like a test in the school it was like wow we're only like a couple of euros off us. maybe we should go again yeah you know? which was real learning for us yeah. you know yeah and yeah. um, one of the things he talked about uh, was share early and share often and can you can you talk about how that works because maybe the traditional model is brief an agency go away for two weeks come back to that moment but you tend not to work that way oh i hate it so um um and you can expand that right back into the organization as well by um there's good reasons why people don't share because they're trying to get it right they want that it's not ready so it's ready like you know um is and and they don't want to they know someone who's assessing it 
might assess the wrong things first. They might yeah. go straight to like, oh, tonally it seems odd or something like that. So, so I fully understand why sharing early is not something people enjoy doing. But the opposite is this, like, it's like any group of people trying to get anything done requires lots of communications and discussions. And, and I just think it's completely foreign and odd that a creative director might be wondering about something and then spends a week on it or two weeks on it with no feedback loop yeah. to find out whether they're going the right direction or not. And, and, um, and that's an awful shame. So like we'd say to someone, look, I'll give you a practical example. One of the creative directors we're working at the moment sent me a text on Monday saying, I'm thinking of doing X and Y. And I was like, don't. And I said, I, so it wasn't whether it's good or bad. I said, just don't, don't, don't go that direction anyway, because not because I, I want us to focus on something else. Right. Uh, and he was like, great. That just saved me like four hours of work that would never even yeah. be reviewed. And, and he understands that's a good way to help him, you know, and we, there are some kind of rules in place. For example, you got to train the team to not be overly critical if someone has spent like hours on something, um, you have to, we have, sometimes we put a rule in place, which is you, the, the client can't kill something. Yeah. Like if you're showing something after two days, all we can say is watch out for these flags and they'll go, look, we got a sword. We know we're thinking and go fine. Um, and so the, the more trust you build it better, but the, the, so it actually, it is built heavily on trust it works extremely well with KV13, the kind of agency you and I know well, um, who are very versatile and they will, they'll send you like a, a bunch of scripts and go, look, here's some scripts that I wrote yesterday. I like the first two. The rest I think are rubbish, but I just thought I'd give you a look and see what you think. And I'll go, yeah, you're right. Actually, the first two are rubbish also, but, but thanks for the, thanks for them. And in which case he'll tell me where to go. And that's also okay. Um, so I, I think that level of, of very close cooperation is the more normal way to do it. But what ha- what's happened is for decades, uh, and maybe not longer, ad agencies have built up walls to stop bad clients from ruining good work. So they put all this work into like presentations and the pitch and the three ideas revealed. They say, let's yeah. show the bad idea first and leave the third idea. To, and like, let's bring a bit of drama and show. Yeah. And it's all so tiring and such a waste of energy. Um, and then the other thing is this, the other part then is as a client, how often do I share with my non-marketing colleagues so they also can give feedback and, 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 and again, it's dangerous, but, we did have a thing um, you might remember where where we would ask our team to go and find people who might not even like the concept yeah. just to get feedback. And and again, that's kind of annoying. But if, if you if you know you won't be derailed, yeah. So if you if you know that you have decision making authority, if you don't have that, it's gonna it's gonna not work. But if you do know that you've got decision making authority, then you can share. Like so, I'm the final decision maker on the stuff we do in 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 the lottery our ceo isn't i am yeah, and yeah. and um there are times when yeah so that just makes me make, make my decisions and then i'll share stuff and if someone if the ceo doesn't like something he'll say it but i'm not changing it 
Yeah. And, and nor am I being asked to change it. You know, yeah. and my CEO is so good. He often won't tell me till afterwards. What he thought? Yeah, because he doesn't want to overly influence it, which is a real, a real mature kind of approach from a CEO. Um, yeah. Uh, and of course, I proved to be right. So that's, uh, that's important. Yeah. Well, actually, a very, well, you, a very important thing is he might go, I don't like this. And I'll say, what matters far more, whether you or I like this, is what people, and which is yeah. why we test it with real people. So because you and I don't reflect our average customer. Yes. And, and that's a big mistake you see a lot in, in companies, which is the CEO or the CMO or someone else thinks, oh, I don't personally like this or I personally love it. But the question is, what's your, what are your punters going to think? Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. This is the kind of the, I, I showed it to my partner and they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, it's and, fine and, to show and, to people, but it's actually knowing what. Well, yeah, you, what you need, you need to reflect, like, you need to reflect your target audience. So, so it, I'm much more interested to know what my, what a, you know, a large group of people who I want to play lottery, what they think about something versus a smaller group of, you know, we, I saw it in Indeed as well. You'd have, you'd have someone from a leadership team saying, oh, nobody watches TV. I was like, no, you don't watch TV because you're on an airplane every week and you're, you know, in the top 1% in, in salaries of the country or whatever. So your life does not, but like there are people watching Coronation Street right now. Yeah. True. Maybe that ties into opposing views. I, I saw something, I think it was earlier this week, somebody said a great question to ask when you're presenting something is, what is it that you don't like about this? Or what is it that really would put you off about doing this thing? How do you go about getting those opposing because it is important that you're not surrounded just by a group of people that agree with you yeah i well i think part of it is is um what we talked about earlier on which is asking people for their open opinions um learning to um learning to to be open to the fact that you might be wrong um which i think is important and it's hard you know um and um like a lot of the time is you like you are not your work so you should be able to put a piece of work on the table and say this i think this is good for the following reasons um what we do is one of our principles or behaviors is we 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 use evidence we use evidence um in our decision making uh, and that helps us so your last example like if i showed you as i often do like a tv ad and if you said I don't like it or I don't think it's good or there's a watch out here. In my mind, there's a couple of things. Firstly, here's an advertising specialist. So that's opinion important, but I also know you play the lottery. So that's important. Um, And then the things to watch out for is you might not be a typical profile of the country. Um, And uh, and also, you know, so I, so I go, okay, which of these things is true? Which of these are, are important? Which of these things might be a bias? You know, marketers are more biased you know, than others, you know, um, and then, so having, having research and, uh, I do a lot of research, but having research and having evidence to say, this seems to be true, but the research, uh, the evidence is not supported, you know, and the more the conversations can move towards what is the research or what does the evidence tell us, you start to, you, you start to, um, and if you can get people agree to that front, you start to get people moving away from their own opinion. 
which is that. And also, you can get used to people just saying, you know, people get good at, they get good at saying, I, I think X, but I'm, I'm very willing to find out I'm wrong. Yes. Well, I think that, yeah, I think to me, that is something that's, I think you said it, it's the, what is the strong views lightly held. So like that yeah. openness to thinking I, I'm okay to be wrong. Um, I mean, yeah. And I think both. that's important. Like, like, so weekly held views is a great position to take because yeah. it lets people know that they're, you're willing to be, you, you're open to debate and, and that, and like, for example, I've seen agencies who wouldn't pitch types of work to a CMO because they know the CMO said, I don't like, like take your classic humor. So the agency knows that the CMO doesn't like humor. Therefore, nothing comes in that's funny. Right Right. Now, that's an awful miss because all the evidence shows that humor is probably a better bet. Yeah. Uh, You know, um, I, I am... I have a chapter in the book called perhaps we would do buy from clowns, which is a quote, it's kind of a, it's a kind of tongue in cheek on Claude Hopkins from a hundred years ago, but where he said people don't buy from clowns. Um, but actually if you look at all the evidence, humor is a good bet. Yes. It might not be right for everybody. It is a good bet. So therefore, because a CMO has said no humor for whatever esoteric reason he or she has, the agency don't pitch it. No one gets involved. No one has those debates, and you may have less effective. Yeah, getting a big growth opportunity. You know, um, on kind of still on, on, on beliefs. Are there any beliefs maybe tied to strongly held or lightly held views? Any beliefs that you would have had maybe earlier in your career that you've kind of gone that? Oh my god, that was why? Why did I believe that so strongly? Yeah, I. Um, I was a very strong advocate of direct marketing and direct response advertising. And, you know, okay. even, even had the likes of Drayton Bird trainers yeah. who used to work with David Ogilvy. And I, I'd gone very deep into, into that stuff. Um, and therefore I had, had an acquired a somewhat arrogant view, which is all brand stuff is fluffy and, and doesn't really drive growth directly direct response advertising and direct marketing is the more practical grown-up way to do advertising. And, and, and there are two extreme views that you see a lot and, and neither are, neither are true. There's a great quote from, I think it's Mark Twain, which is all generalizations are false, including this one. (laughs) Uh, and, 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 and I think that's, that's fair, you know, um, I was extremist in my pers- right. my views on that, and 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 um, and again, if I'd studied the past, I would realize that I was talking rubbish. Um, and um, I was also, I did my MBA when I, in two thousand five, and um, and so I, I think I came out. I was a little bit arrogant in the sense that when you do an MBA, you, you acquire a lot of information very quickly. So you, you, you know, you're, so I wasn't arrogant about having an MBA. I just, I was arrogant about this new information that I now knew. Apart um, on the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which sometimes I'm accused of doing. And, 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 and so I do, um, I do think like I do. So I do think I probably thought I knew more or better than everybody else. And I, and that would have led me to, kind of some views on on oh i can come in and 
you know, resurrect this brand and things like that as well. But I, I like, so that's one thing. And, you know, I've fixed that a little bit, but the, um, the, um, the other thing which, which like I wrote about in the book is, is if you take an advertising perspective. So I, I had a view based on, on a very successful kind of launch of the 48 brand. Um, I had a view that you could probably make advertising and not brand it till the very end and keep people so engaged that, that you can allow the branding to happen at the end and be successful. Now, the truth of the matter was we kind of did that for the 48 launch, but, but, but like when I went back and reviewed all that, I realized years later, I realized that we, we had had so much pure happening and kind of a swell that the TV was just kind of adding, it was just, it was just adding context. It didn't have to do all the heavy lifting. Um, but that under that viewpoint, which a lot of, you see it all the time, a lot yeah. of marketers and, and agencies have, which is if you overly brand it or if you brand it early, you, you, um, you, you know, it's less enjoyable, less effective advertising and look at these great ads from Nike or anything like that that do this or Guinness. Um, so that was a point of view that I, that I, I had and definitely led to a serious kind of mistake in, in one of the launch campaigns that I did um, where it was an engaging, interesting campaign, but poorly branded. Yeah. And, and, and that was a big lesson and it was painful and uh and i know my advice to people these days is why why take that risk like like stop believing that the only people watching an ad all the way to the very end are the creatives who wrote it and 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 no one else is uh, like sorry that's not true obviously some people will but but like it's a numbers game and you want as many people as possible to see like there's a great quote from should this again a great quote from from I think Jenny Romanek or or Byron Sharp, which is basically you need it, it it's not the ad that people need to to remember it's the brand and 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 if people don't remember your brand there is no way it can get into long term memory and vast majority of advertising works through long term memories with the exception of kind of some Google ads and direct response advertising. Yeah, I'm sure anyone listening would know or be able to recount an ad where they go, "Oh, that was a great ad," and someone says, "Who was it for?" I, uh, I don't, I don't remember. And that is the failing. You know, when that yeah. happens, then you've been sold that this is a piece of art. And I'm not taking away from creativity and and you know the artistry in it, but it's a commercial game as well, right? We're here to sell. Yeah, like like it's to be honest with you, it's it is probably the single biggest mistake we see in advertising still, which is, is, and you can't bolt it on at the end. You, you got to figure yeah. it out at the beginning, you know? Um, and, and like, I've heard all the debates, you know, uh, like it's easy to brand an ad. Like we know, we know we can brand ad. It's still more difficult to do an ad that's well branded. That's interesting, exciting, and memorable. Um, yeah. It's easier to do an ad that's, interesting exciting but maybe forgets the brand because you can just talk whatever you like um um and um and but we see it so often and it's based on a fundamental assumption which is this is so good that we'll keep people 
till the end. But if you look at Karen Nelson Fields, kind of she has spans out. She she you see when people watch even TV ads, they go in and out. Yeah. Their attention goes up and down. It's not like they're sitting there going, Wow, that's great. You know, now there's always going to be this occasional there's always going to be this occasional home run. Yeah. That is so good that I, I send it to you and go, look at this. And you do because I've sent it to you and you go, wow, it's amazing. And I know you were talking to 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 John recently on the podcast and he's made some just outrageously yes, good yes. ads that that you you know you would do that. But that's a strategy. That's like you know, that's like hoping for a home run. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the way people's attention these days is much better understood. Like it's just so my my answer always to people is but what why why take that risk? Like yeah. why would you do that? Like and it is worth people reading up in Karen Nelson Fields work on attention because it really does hammer it home really that the people you know how people do pay attention and the importance of getting yeah yeah and she wrote a book called The Science of Sharing a number of years ago where she did some empirical studies that actually answer that exact question which is how how often do we watch video and does it kill it and all that kind of stuff as well Um, but no it's it's which is why Jenny Romick's stuff on distinctive assets is so so important yeah. because it, they do the heavy lifting of who is this brand in front of me on TV and and allow you to make it interesting and enjoyable without having to have your logo up on the screen all the way through. Yeah, definitely ways of doing it. You talked at the start about some of the work with O2 and the bubbles, and I do remember them. The bubbles were in the wrong place and they had to come off the last letter, but. It is important, kind of the whole like distinctive assets. And mm. as you rightly say, probably at the time we didn't realize that's actually what O2 had. They owned Blue, right? Um, and I think Johnny Cahill, I remember him saying at a time, like who thought a telco company could own a color? And and they do. Similarly, I think Brennan's Bread might own yellow, right? Because, you, you know, you think, but, but what, you know, even getting into the lottery, what what were you looking at in terms of the distinctive assets that they have and and should really kind of double down on yeah well so at the time of o2 we definitely knew the importance of them we just didn't have the language um um and um there's a lot more understood about that now like like i think jenny romanek with her book it they make an awful lot of sense to me which is if if people aren't paying an awful lot of attention and and most people maybe are light users of a brand and um and media is more fragmented, then the goal number one for our team is that people at a glance, at a glance, would at the very, very least recognize who's advertising. It seems like a very low ambition, but but um, but uh, uh, but if you think about it, like we know from we know from our work and from the research that if you take a take a fifteen second ad on the internet. You've probably got two to three seconds before active attention falls off a cliff. Yeah. Um, that's not an awful lot of time, and so you have to figure out what's your message. Can you get your brand in, um, and and all those other things. If 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 this, if people didn't even notice that that ad was for you, it's done nothing for long term memory. So I'm convinced yeah. of that. Um, so knowing that, when I went to the lottery in the beginning, a lot of our our brands were competing with each other, so we had a lot of colors going on, which means at a glance, you probably wouldn't know it was us. So we're just losing out there a little bit. Um, 
The online, it was worse in the sense that you know what happens. Like, like so you're putting up an, an, an ad online and you're making an ad and it might not be getting enough of ad spend, if any. You don't have great assets. So you're just kind of, you're just making your best bet and putting things up. And, and, and so over time, you see this very fragmented and scattered looking kind of broad view of of it um so we did like for example we had we had red blue orange green obviously yeah um like you know a lot red was a lot of color and it still is on the app and stuff like that right but so we had all these colors but we tested them and we asked people like which which color would you associate with these brands and the only color that had any like potential was green so we basically stripped away all the other colors and and doubled down on on the lottery being a green brand Right. Kind of, it doesn't sound like like genius work here but 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 um you know scratch card and we went to one tagline for all our brands you know so it used to be you know there was different there was a tagline for your millions and your millions of this kind of orange kind of feel yeah there. um and so we we said one tagline one brand national lottery and actually what we did is we moved the national lottery it used to be it used to be kind of an endorser brand down in the corner of a screen or in the corner of a poster and we we moved it to the middle Right. And then it sounds awful dainty stuff. We moved it to the middle, right, of our communications and took stuff away from it. Um, very much learning from the stuff we'd done in O2 days. Right. Basically, our view was our logo was should be treated with this with with a level of 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 um, a high level of what's the word in terms of respect and also that we, we give it the diligence it needs. Yeah. We, we don't cloud it with other stuff and, and we give it the prominence that it, it needs to have in the same way back in our days in O2, we would have done that too. And basically what we are trying to do is, is, is show the confidence of a big brand, which it is. Yeah. And, and, and everything else was to play a supporting role to some of those things. So even though we have other colors in our brand, like when you see ads from us, your takeaway is probably going to be it's green. Now yeah. I have introduced some new color recently. I introduced some blue from water and sky and more naturalness. And, and that's been an active decision. So it doesn't just become very claustrophobic. Um, um, in the same way, when back in O2 days, we introduced a little bit of yellow in color and we introduced right. a bit of green with our rugby sponsorship. Yeah. So, but, but we are, we're, they're very deliberate decisions. Um, and the other distinctive assets then, um, well, we had, we brought back, it could be you as a tagline, which had been yeah. gone since 2013. And uh, phenomenal that it was gone for so long. And I, I would imagine people thought immediately, if you said it could be you, they would think Lotto. Well, we, yeah, we tested it. So like 80% of people knew who the brand yeah. was, even though it hadn't been used since 2013. Uh, so you, the idea is you want, what evokes the brand. So you, 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 um, you, you just say the line or you show the words and people take a guess and, and, um, and, and, and like it had been gone since 2013, but actually a lot of news reports and journalists, whenever there's a win, it often comes up as it could be used. So it kind of still had this, it, it was still hanging around, if you know, if anyway. But but it was it was it wasn't just the right tagline. It was perfect for our strategy, which was all about about um, helping people believe they could win. Yeah. You know, it was in the strategy, and I was like, well, we have a tagline that is an asset. Uh, and so again, we're very very deliberate and consistent and rigorous in our application. Yeah. Of of the, and we test and we measure it, so it's it's actually at a hundred percent now. Um, okay, you know, so basically everyone in the country who knows those words knows the brand. Um, 
And then we used our Elvis music, which we just changed, but we had our Elvis music. So we, even though we consolidated the Euro Millions brand with the Lotto brand, we did it in a way we didn't, we didn't want to, we didn't want to feel like a, a knee jerk reaction. So we, the, 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 the Island TV ad had been hugely successful. Yeah. And we were stopping it. It'd been around for about four or five years. We were stopping it, but we kept the music from it and brought that into everything. Yeah. Um, and that worked really well. And then this, this year, um, we changed the music with the new village campaign with the ELA, ELA Mr. Blue Sky. And, and that was partly to consolidate this and good causes. Um, and so we're just using one track across everything. And, and also I was just taking a bet that we could build a new track that felt uplifting and happy and stuff. And, and I guess time will tell. Yeah. But all, uh, and bring the ba- brand, I guess, is, you know, again, put the brand in, we talk about fresh consistency as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Which is a line from, from John and Dave Taylor, yeah. um, um, which is, so the last asset, which was an important one is we didn't have a visual asset that we could use quickly. We had a music one, we had a logo, we had a color, but color is very hard to own. Like there's lots of brands that are green, so you can yeah. just do your best, but you will never own a color really. Um, and like even red, you've got like Vodafone, Virgin, Coke, Santander, you know, like it's, you know, depending on context. Um, uh, and so we actively um, created the water slides, which, you know, you know very well, but, but the, um, we did that as a way to, there's a big idea behind this, which yeah. is, which is the, you know, which, you know, you have your own small role in that, but the, 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 the idea of, of a lot of winner, winner doing something for their community. And that's in, that's in a very theoretical idea. Um, but we made it a very practical, fun, enjoyable way through the water slides. Um, but, but part of that was to build something that we can use. So that water slide um, asset has now got like 90% recognition when you just show water slides, people know who the brand is, which means that when we put them into tiny six second ads or 10 second ads, yeah. people are, we are not going to, people are going to know it's us. So we're not going to have misattribution. We're not, all those two seconds of tension we talked about earlier on, we get immediately. And actually what we've done in our most recent campaign, we're starting to test is not just the new music, but we're actually testing the yellow ring Without, yeah. without the slides. Yeah, because I, I I spotted that in the in the new ad where the six second ad where the trucks with the rings are going across the screen. Yeah. And yeah. Then in the new ad, I see the trucks with the the same truck. I may not be, but it looks exactly the same truck with the, the rings. Background, with the rings, and I'm like, yeah, that, that's that's great tying it all all together. Yeah, yeah. But even even like in some of our short ads and even our posters, there's no water slide. It's just water and a yeah. ring and actually we're taking some bets here because a lot of it isn't as green as you'd like it to be so that's why we're just doing the blue stuff but the yellow yeah. ring hopefully and we're testing that so we'll know in a month's time whether the yellow ring on its own in water people we've done enough to make that connection and if that's the case then you can have a yellow ring rolling across like a banner yeah. ad. you know what i mean like you can move away <laughs> to a lot, a lot of stuff or you can have there's lots of basically we're, we're building a toolkit of assets that you don't have to use but yeah. you can use. And we didn't have that visual connector because media is so much, so much more fragmented. Um, the one thing that we don't have, which I'd like, and I tried, but I ran into some challenges, is maybe a character. 
you know, as an asset. Um, and we may get there. We may get there. Um, and the good thing about the, the the yellow rings is when people are on their holidays in Spain or Portugal and they're at a water park, they'll think about the lottery. Except so. they can't play. <laughs> yeah, they can't play. <laughs> no, you have to be you have to be here to play. But but you know that's it. Yeah, that's about it. So the asset's been a really important part. And actually, I think go back to one of your earlier questions. I don't think I understood this. Let's just call it the strategic importance of assets. Like when I was uh, like a like a younger, inexperienced, much more handsome marketer, um, I, um, I I I thought about the bubbles and identity as look, it's good for consistency. Yeah, I didn't realize how important because I didn't understand memory structures, attention. I didn't understand these things, and um, and so when we do our stuff. We um, explain to our team, and we have a training for all employees, not just for our team. But we 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 um, we explain not just what our assets are, why they're so important, how it works in terms of memory structures, um, and and how all these build um, the ability for our brand to to get noticed, which gets into long term memory, which is kind of and then leads back in things like category entry points. So. I didn't realize that. Um, and so I, we were just doing it. Uh, and I, you know, like in fairness, the research probably wasn't available back then anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- probably not. But it is interesting again, though, too. It was happening, but it was, you know, people weren't able well, to. They, they knew what they were. They, yeah. Yeah. You know, like so Charles Alance from PCP and, and a guy called Gary, um, um, who from, um, from Lambie Iron. And like it was, it was amazing. It was amazing yeah. and probably didn't get the credit. It was just seen as kind of brand police and Complete, completely. Uh, yeah. And and actually when you're in it, it's quite difficult because you're like, how do you make how do you make the ad cut through? Yeah. Um how do you ad cut through? The individual execution cut through uh, while staying consistent. And I think that's kind of the fresh consistency we spoke about. So if you take the village ad at the moment, it's a very different ad to the "Gotta Share the Love," which was yeah. the guy in the apartment. Uh, like it's a different ad. One is this guy, and it's a kind of a documentary style. Yeah, and there's a there's a it's a rug pull ad, you know. Um, while the village is Truman Show stuff, you know what I mean? Like it's it's a woman who wins and hides and shares with her friends. So they're very different ads. And if you if you didn't have the music on. Well, that's changed anyway. But if the, like you, you wouldn't know the same as, but the consistency is the water slides throughout that. Now, yeah. whether we can continue to do fresh stories using the assets like the water slides is yet to be seen. Like there may be a stage where you find you know where else to go on that, but you can use them for jackpot ads forever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Um, I, I guess we've talked a bit about some of the work that you've done. Um, but I'd love to know, you know, when you think about some of the ads you've made, what are the ones that kind of stand out to use, you know, just ones that you loved um, either making. That I made. Yeah, either making or just, you know, you look back and go, I just, I just love still looking at that ad for whatever reason. Yeah, I should say that, you know, anything that's been really good has probably had the likes of even McCarthy in the, in, the, in, the, in the middle of it, in case she watches this. Um, the, um, I tell you, the, 
like I like all forms of communication. Like I like emails. Like I like everything, you know. But I, um, I like like if you go to kind of your film or TV, um, I think we made some really good ads in O two. Um, we like one of my favorites is the one where we had Brian O'Driscoll and Paul O'Connell, and Johnny Sexton, and we kind of dropped them in a park in the Upper End, um, um, Rathgar. And they're just basically playing like, you know, jumpers down goalpost stuff. And they're just playing, they're playing with the community. And, and that was, that was a wonderful ad to make. And it just worked out really well. The weather was great. And we had some music from uh, Badly Drawn Boy, which was the track. And funny enough, we had no idea what the message was. This is terrible to be, to be telling honestly, but we had no idea what the message was. And Paul Pelbert talks about this all the time. We knew the, the associations we wanted a bit like at the time, this was for our, the rugby world cup and rub and rugby at the time were all big masculine kind of, you know, if you think of, you know, not dark, but like it was very masculine kind of war kind of metaphors. And, and then we had this lovely kind of just play around the park with some kids and people laughing like Paul O'Connell and Brian's laughing out loud. And it was just, we wanted to appeal to households yeah. and and families, not just your, you know, your larder drink and rugby players and things like that as well. So we knew what we wanted to do. We had no idea what the message was going to be till about like three weeks after we made the ad. <laughs> uh, um, I remember I was on a different shoot. Respected in the edit. I was myself and Ema sitting down during waiting for setups in a different shoot in London, trying to figure what might the message be, uh, which is not the most unusual thing. Uh, so that was a wonderful ad. I have to say the the launch of the O2 venue um, yeah. with um, uh, the, the Florence Machine track, Cosmic Love, um, yeah. which Ema will take full credit for um, and probably rightly so. Um, and again, that's a really interesting ad because we struggled for six months to figure out what the campaign would look and look like. And we eventually bought an execution, not an idea. And, hey. and, and there was a great Schweppes, Schweppes reference point that we went for, as well as um, the director done a wonderful ad for Adidas. Um, and, uh, and so we bought an execution. Um, and, um, but it's funny because that actually is just Hey, that is just like the most wonderful piece yeah. of advertising. It's a beautiful now, ad. Yeah, it is beautiful ad. And like it's now probably it created all these things later on in the industry where slow-mo became a thing where you had yeah. these people dancing slowly in festivals and stuff like that. But so we're responsible for that terrible stuff. But but the, the, <laughs> we got we got very, very lucky with the music because that track because because at the time Flower Machine wasn't known in Ireland, but she was just weeks away from becoming known. Right. And uh, and so we got very lucky with that. Um, I have to say that um, one of my favourite ads we made was the launch of the Forty Eight campaign. Uh, actually, two or three of them. The, the one was the the girl, which was just wonderful with that brand wrote with Tom yes. Jackson with Tom Jackson actually. Yeah. he was just like a, a young fella, and 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 that was I. I loved everything about that ad because it was just so different to everything out there. We knew the other brands couldn't go there. Yeah. And it was, as you know, it was a coming of age story, which I'm always a sucker for. <laughs> and, um, but there's some wonderful stuff because if you look at the beginning of the ad, you see this very innocent girl wearing all white. And then it, when you go to the very end, the ad, which is meant to have been like 48 months later, she's like full of kind of confidence and yeah. kind of 
and and and, and it's, it's some so some really good stuff going on in that and uh and we did that like we did that very cheaply but it's got a, it's got a we used references from some genes and stuff like that like it was it was a very engaging um yeah like people were just like what is this you know yeah um, and the follow up ad we did which also we made some mistakes but it was very very good it was the japanese one where we decided to just make an ad in japanese yeah. for ireland and it was it was you know the j-pop stuff and it was brilliant i love yeah, that yeah yeah that was just just i remember at one stage having a discussion about whether we'd have subtitles we're like it makes no sense anyway why bother well, uh, and we've we've obviously in for indeed we've a and at, we've our ad in Japan, and I was like, "What? Like, I, like, let's do what Forty Eight did and just use that ad in Spain and just see what." Well, happens. actually, it wasn't a million miles away, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I do, I do think, I do think those good. I I really enjoyed the um, I really enjoyed the first, like, I really enjoyed the two the two water slide ads that, that, that we've we've made this one. Like, I really, I really, I really love the rug pull on the first one because that came from a joke originally. Yeah working with Owen you know where um and so that was that was particularly good and very well executed um um I did like some of the ones we did in, in Indeed they never really had we never really pulled them off as well as as we'd like to yeah you know, yeah so, and I guess it was frustrating in many ways um and how about the work of other like what work maybe that you're seeing at the minute that you're you're enjoying or liking or think people are doing well um, I'm trying to think of stuff that I like at the moment. Um, I was saying to Shane earlier on that Super Value stuff is pretty good, and, and uh, in terms of the Christmas work and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I would say that advertising is not as good. Um, like there was a golden period in the 80s and yeah. the 90s, in the 90s, mostly from the UK, where um. I don't know if you've read Orlando's most recent book, but um, but um, you you know there's a lot to suggest that advertising is is not as enjoyable, yeah, as it used to be. Which and there's, there's some strong correlation between enjoyable work and 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 uh, um, and effective work. Um, and so I think that's I think that we're we're not seeing great great work i have to say i love the stuff that Ortiz did for their drama did you see that stuff no so see this is the problem with fragmentation but Ortiz came out with some ads for their new drama series um some really some really engaging it reminded me a little bit of like the kind of it was like straight to camera kind of pulling you in hey. um, it's really good it was really good stuff um uh that was the most interesting tv ads i saw in ireland in the last while um, but I just don't think it's as good as it used to be. Yeah, because I, and you're right, fragmentation, but also I think maybe challenges people have to demonstrate, you know, in such short periods of time, things are working. We know that building a brand takes time. Things like fame work better. Also, I think people think, you know, they talk about fame and then they tie emotion to it and everyone thinks then emotion has to be like the piano-led thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you end up with kind of, that work can be quite vanilla then as well. And, and, you know, it's not adding anything to kind of the, the long-term. Yeah. People do confuse, they confuse emotion with, with, um, um, the, the 
tender kind of warm kind of like you know heartfelt yes the word um but um but but of course that's quite hard to do and um and you like you kind of build up stuff you know what i mean like you need longer formats and 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 it's hard to do well you need performance and you need and 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 also what you and i might think is heartfelt others might just think it's boring you know so you know like that's why humor is is a better bet yeah it's funny i think we've come out obviously the last year where i think people maybe the the last years people felt they couldn't do humor and i was just watching some of the this age this podcast but some of the previews for super bowl ads humor seems like it's going to be big you know i think in and so i think we're hopefully maybe coming coming back to that that people feel well look we're maybe getting back to a better a better world where we can we don't have to be so careful uh, and heartfelt yeah because it used it used it used to be it like it used to be the super bowl used to be mostly funny stuff yeah 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 um and humor like you can get it wrong too as in what you might find funny i don't or likewise but but um but like we talk we talk about our work as being light entertainment and and uh, it is interesting. I remember a couple of years ago um, when I was doing a bit of research for the book, the, the, the most watched TV show on Netflix in the UK in 2018 and 2018 was, um, was Friends. And you're like, hang on, there's, there's all this kind of award-winning movies and TV series and documentaries. Yeah, yeah. and then people are watching something that they know really well that they've seen a hundred times. What's that about? And, you know, part of it is you come home, you're tired. You don't really want to think, right? Yeah. You don't like there's times when you want to watch like 12 years of slave, but you're like, other times you go, I'll have to just, you know, I, I, I just want a bit of, a bit of kind of easy yeah. kind of go over my head type stuff. And in that context, why do we think people are going to engage and listen to ads? Like, yeah. you know, so like, you know, Paul Felder talks about, I can't remember who he's quoting, but he talks about the idea that if, if you're going to come into someone's living room uninvited, yes. you better be charming. Uh, and, uh, and, you, and, and so. And that came from the, the advent of TV advertising where, you know, where it was the first time people were putting ads on TV. It was like, if you were invited into someone's living room, you need to be a good guest, you know, at least be entertaining. I, I remember reading that in his book. Yeah. Like there was a, there was a time in, there was a time in, um, there was a time in um, summer again, around the nineties where um, they asked this question on a regular basis, which is, um, is the advertising more enjoyable than the, the programming, the content. And it was until about the nineties and then started going. So either the content got much better yeah. the programming or the ads got a lot worse. Um, or maybe one argument is there's a lot more ads. Therefore you just, but like you, if you, if you, if you go on, it's, it's, it's it like part of comes down to, and I think it's a fascinating thing, which is, which is how do you think advertising actually works? Like it's, yeah. it's a question that doesn't get asked an awful lot. And, uh, and Stephen King, the kind of the planner who kind of invented the word account planning, he said, it's, it's not as much about what, um, advertising does to people as to what people do with advertising. Uh, and, and, 
And so if you think that advertising is about, do you remember the training we got uh, with Paul Felder? Paul Felder he yeah. showed like the Telma noodles case study. Yes. Which is just this bizarre kind of ad. And, and then asked if we were in the room, do you think it worked? That's right. And really what you got was a whole range of opinions, but their opinions were based on how they think advertising does work. So they're like, well, there's no unique proposition in there or it's not differentiated. Yeah. It's not like, it's not telling us why these noodles are better than any other noodles. And then other people are like, well, I love the music, you know, and, 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 you know, and the ad was well-branded and, and it was a very, very successful campaign. And, 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 you know, like, so it like, I have a conversation a lot. I was talking to Owen about this today, but like in K13, but like, so how do we think our advertising is actually working? Yeah. Like, like What's, what goes on in all those steps between them seeing an ad or hearing one and deciding to buy? Do something, yeah. You know, like, and, and people have a whole range of theories on that. Um, you know, advertising theories, like, you know, there's persuasion theory, there's the hierarchy effects theories, there's all these are theories about how the advertising works. But your theory on how advertising works will absolutely influence the brief, how you critique the brief. If you think it's salience, then you would push for famous salience work. If you think it's persuasion, You'll, 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 you'll end up making work that is, you think is trying to persuade someone from X to Y. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a wonderful session, Paul Felder. It was like this history of advertising and watching ads. Like anyone in marketing who is a team and is involved in advertising should definitely get Paul Felder over to do you his training. Tra- you should track him down for one yeah. of these. Um, like his, his most recent book, Fedler, yeah, is again, um, like you know, what Fedler's thing is 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 an amazing, yeah. um, like very factual, you know, but it but story led understanding that that basically takes a stab at all the assumptions that we have, yeah, going into the market, which was you know how do we like we have to say X in an ad because that's the important part. Um, do you remember we did a campaign in Indeed where? We launched, um, it was the resume campaign, but we launched yeah. a campaign, but in studio, doing the London version, Owen, the copywriter, it rang and said, listen, the guy who's in the voiceover, he's half English. He, he basically was able to go into his, his national tongue language yeah. um, accent. And we tested a typical English accent that right. you, might, you might hear in all ads. And then we test him to his normal accent. So I can't remember which country he, he is. I think he basically had one parent in, in, from one country and therefore he had, a, he had a, the ability to, to, um, to switch between his English. Yeah. And he did, it, he did it in his own kind of native accent. And the, uh, we tested both ads and, and the scores were so much higher. Yeah. Um, and what I thought was interesting in reflection on that was that wasn't a strategic decision. That was a tactical decision made by a, a copywriter who had a good sense of things. Yeah. Yeah. We'd spent like weeks and months of meetings discussing every other aspect. Know. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? So the things that we think are important are often not important. And the things that we think are not important often are like, I know I do believe strongly that performance is really important in advertising now. So in the lottery ad last year, when your man comes down the slide and he kind of, he, he pulls at his oh, speedos, yeah. speedos, we all know that's a really important moment 
yeah. in, in, in the ad. And it's not, we shouldn't, we don't leave that to, we don't, we as much as possible leave that not to look, you yeah. know, or even like in the new ad, there's like the, the woman's like, oh, Barry, a couple of times. And we'd load the discussion yeah. debates about how important that might be in terms of people remembering it and versus her, what, what's said at the very end. Yeah. yeah even her face when she's coming down the slide at the very end, just a beautiful joy. Uh, it's a wonderful moment that's, again, brilliant. It is. Asked. It is. And, and and so important to the story. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. um, we're nearly at time, uh, maybe even gone over. But a uh, couple of last questions for you. Best campaign ever, not that you've worked on, but one that you just absolutely adore. Uh, the, the Levi's. Levi's. Okay. So, so the Levi's laundrette kicked it off. And then they had a number of ads that followed in that place. That for a number of reasons, that's easily my favorite campaign. Um, one, like we were teenagers when that came out. And, um, and the, I just remember the, just the impact it had on kind of culture at the time. Um, and, um, and they did some amazing things. They just used music tracks yeah. in a way that I didn't remember before. It's, it is the, it is that that got me interested in advertising. Um, but what's wonderful is you go back and read the IPA case on it. Like Levi's were in so much trouble that basically people were in combats. Levi's themselves were, were like their, your dad was wearing them. So like, you know, if you're a teenager, you can't be wearing the same jeans as your dad. And they were just in real trouble. And this was kind of a last effort with BBH. It was their first client. Like, so they became an agency, you know, Hegarty on this. And they... And their campaign was so successful, like it's five hundred percent increase. Like, and they, and they're, they're, it's great. But even, even at the time, do you remember Nick Kamen, who who he died recently? He um, he strips down in the, the actor, lawn, yeah. in the lawn, in the laundrette, and like Doug Cameron was saying, if that had been the other way around, it had been a woman stripping down, it would never have worked. It, it was the fact that it was a guy stripping down. So there was a little bit of. There was a whole range of signaling that was going on there. The fact that it was done in the fifties, America not in modern day America, which was kind of Reagan Bush, which no one in the UK would have been fond of anyway, but it was set in that thing. So there's all these really interesting pieces that came together. Um, but even the, the, originally he wasn't wearing boxer shorts. He was wearing like underpants, like briefs. Yeah, yeah. And, but the, the, when they tried to get it through the kind of the equivalent of a clear cast, they were told they couldn't do that. So they said, okay, we'll wear like boxer shorts. And then sales of the boxer shorts <laughs> went through the roof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, so, but then they just followed up time and time again. And they basically resurrected it so much that they were able to increase their price and 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 come out of discount stores and set up their own stores later. It, like, it is just, it's an incredible, it's an incredible case study yeah. on just on um, the impact of, of, like you know, just amazing advertising, you know. Right. Last one for you. Um, kind of what would your... Top three tips be, I guess, for somebody, either somebody in marketing now or somebody even thinking about going into marketing. What are the kind of three things you're like, these are things that you should really think about or do or just things you wish you'd known way back when starting out? I'd say we cover them. Uh, I would say first and foremost, um, study the past. Like, (laughs) you know, like, like people, even reading an IPA case study once a week, it would take you about 90 minutes, an hour, 90 minutes to do it. And you just learn so much. You'll see the thinking, you'll see how it works through. You'll understand that. You'll see good practice at play. Um, I think that's really, really important because we 
keep reinventing or making up words and phrases that we think are new ways of doing marketing. It's all been there before. Um, I think that would be the first one. I would say the the one we spent a little bit of time talking earlier on, which is this idea of um, like strong views, weekly held. Yeah. So, so the idea that you can build a belief, but don't get tied to your ideology. Don't believe that direct response advertising or direct marketing is the only way to do good advertising. Don't believe that TV is dead or TV is the only thing. Like, like um, keep them as weakly held beliefs. Um, I would say, I think they're the parties the two most, two most important things. The, um, the other one that we talked at the very beginning of it, which is, which is this idea that um, like when you focus on the work, so, so you won't make great work unless you work really hard and you need to high standards and you really do. And, and, and accepting lower standards is, is you just get to mediocrity. So I think this idea that Russell had given me a number of years ago, which is, which is um, like, be, be hard on the work like like you know we 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 have an ambition to be ireland's most effective marketers in the lottery and it's a big ambition one that we feel we can do and and so we we benchmark our work against the best in the world yeah so like our most recent advertising beat every super bowl score last year right in system one yeah yeah Yeah. so in fact we're the only brand at the moment that has two five-star ads in market right at the same time so like we we like our ambition is at that level we are we are we are competing and we see ourselves as being able to hold our own against anyone in the world um and that's the ambition um but we strongly believe that there is a need to be nice to each other yeah and and to 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 understand it's difficult and to to understand that just because a script is terrible doesn't mean that the person who wrote it is not good. They're, they're a very good writer, you know, yeah. and, and, and I think that's, I think it's really important. And I think if people can learn the behaviors to do that, we get to good work. Yeah. And again, tied to probably studying the past, like if you know, if you see what's working, what's done well in the past and why those case studies that you talk about are reading some of the books that you've mentioned, I think it does help you understand how to get, to good work as well. So yeah, like you have, like you, you, you go back to Tim Amber's quote, which is, you know, you, you, if you're when you get, when you spend enough time studying it and, and in it, you learn what not to do. So yeah. we take that very simple example of not branding till the very end. Like that's just a high risk strategy for me, and it's very hard for me to come to terms with a campaign where I would do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now. <laughs> I, we've built assets, so we know enough about that to yeah, build assets, yeah. so we don't have to do that, you know. Um, and actually, we did make an ad, the golf ad, pre-water slides, where I was worried that because we didn't get it right at the beginning, we were yeah. in a situation where, where we might have problem with branding. We kind of resolved that tactically, which yeah. we'd rather not do. But yeah, so if you know the stuff, if you know the stuff and you're continuously learning, um, then you you build that benchmark of good and bad bets and 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 then you raise the bar yeah. Yeah. cool well look we will leave it there paul dervin um best-selling author of <laughs> run with foxes uh best-selling marketing leader uh cmo of the national lottery thank you very much
Thanks, Connor. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As I said at the outset, I have known Paul a long time. There probably isn't a week that goes by that Paul and myself don't talk about marketing. Yet, when I listen to him, I still learn. Paul reminds me of the importance of testing, being deliberate, consistent, and rigorous in how you apply things, but still take bets, and most importantly, to be courageous in your work. If you haven't had a chance to read his book, Run With Foxes, I would definitely encourage you to get a copy. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Marketing. If you did enjoy it, please do share and add comments with your feedback. From me, Connor Byrne, until the next episode, take care.